Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it and hope you're having a good day. Here's what we'll be talking about today, the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We'll also be talking markets with Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst, and another attack on the RFS. This one comes from the baking industry. We will get reaction from Kurt Kovarik with the uh, National Biodiesel Board and also find out about a new campaign they have underway to promote the RFS. So all that coming up on today's program. But as we uh, make our way through the summer, and even though we still have virus concerns, of course, Still, we've been able to see some things return, such as uh, county fairs and state fairs now. We're getting into that season, but also farm shows. We talk a lot about Husker Harvest Days coming up and Farm Progress Show. Um, But also, there's a big one going on now in Minnesota. It's Farm Fest. And joining us now is Joe Gill. He is the farm director at our affiliate KASM, Chasm Radio, in Minnesota. Joe, thanks for joining us. How's things going with the Farm Fest this year? Well, Mike, good morning. Uh, so far, so good. Today is the second of three days, and yesterday, a good crowd of people. I'd call it a, a steady flow of folks. We had sweet corn ice cream. We had roast beef sandwiches and pork chops on a stick. You can't beat it. Sounds great. So th- are the crowds good? Yeah, yesterday for the first day, Mike, I- I'd call it really steady was the crowd. It wasn't overwhelming but it was uh, steady all across the grounds. It's a huge outdoor show. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people was a, a great uh, sign of kind of normal again, seeing the crowd and the folks on hand yesterday. That's great to hear. And I know that you have a lot of uh, good educational seminars, a lot of information for folks at Farm Fest. Yeah, yesterday, the first day, it was all about kind of egg policy. We had a, a lot of big names speaking. They have a great... Uh, three-day schedule of forms and different panel discussions and yesterday there was uh, talk regarding taxes if you do vol american farm bureau president was on hand also bill northy was there a former usda under secretary of agriculture and bill some of his comments uh, surrounding possible next farm bill and we're going to get that farm bill discussion with many of our egg leaders so that's going to happen today as well at farm fest Sounds good. We're talking with Joe Gill, Farm Director at Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota, our AOA affiliate there, talking about Farm Fest, the big farm show that's underway in Minnesota. This is a, such a big event, and I know a lot of people look forward to it each year. Uh, what's the mood of the crowd uh, with what's going on, the weather challenges you've had throughout your state this year? What's, what's the mood of folks? You know, Mike, the mood is okay, but you mentioned weather. That's the key word. If I had a nickel for every time I I heard, uh, what do you think the forecast is going to be? Are we going to see rain or how much rain have you seen? And just doing some of the crop inspection, it's, oh, roughly uh, Farm Fest is, oh, 120 miles or so to the south of where I'm located. And looking at the crops, they look fairly decent. Uh, You can count on two hands some fields that are are foregone and, and there's not much help to be made. But rainfall is a big concern. There's still a lot of folks as they look at May 1st as that benchmark, they have seen under four, four and a half inches of rain total. And August is uh, so, so well known for not producing much rainfall. So I would say that was number one topic, conversation between farmers, uh, lack of hay. Um, hay this year, one, two, or their third crop of hay was uh, very thin in some areas. Yeah, I'm sure that as they're talking, it... Uh... You know, on one hand, you would normally be talking about how good the prices are, right? But uh, hard to do that if you're worried about if you're growing much of a crop or not. Yeah, exactly. And I know we had some uh, market analysts uh, speak yesterday, uh, Ken Beadle with uh, CHS, and he was giving just kind of the ins and out of contracts. And, and what do you do right now? Do you lock things in? And then you're, you're doing that without knowing exactly if you're going to get a crop too. So 
that was well attended. He had some good insight too, where, where a lot of producers are in a pickle, you know, a bit where you're not sure what you're going to do, but we are seeing some of those future numbers that, you know what, you want to try and market a percentage of your crop and, and try and take advantage. And what are your dairy folks uh, discussing right now? What's on their mind? Right now, Mike, uh, a lot of dairy talk. Well, we're, I, I guess we're going to learn more today. I know we're going to have that farm bill discussion. We're going to have a few folks uh, from Minnesota Milk. I know Lucas Schostrom, executive director, is going to be on that panel. So he's going to give us some insight. But uh, I think from the dairy perspective, uh, they're very happy with uh, the dairy margin coverage program. Those who, who did sign up and did sign up at the, the 950 mark, um, that's been a wonderful uh, thing for dairy farmers. I think side conversations, Mike, um, surrounding um, are we going to see some some sort of production control in the future? It's something the industry has dealt with where where they, they always do too good of a job, always overproduce, and, and we're seeing uh, some of the small farmers pressure on them, uh, seeing some of those go out of business, and seeing some of the bigger farmers get bigger, and that's some of the the side conversations we had on Tuesday. And ag labor, is that a big discussion as well? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was brought up yesterday too, and and uh, we had some legislative leaders on hand yesterday. Uh, they featured uh, Michelle Fishbach and also Tom Emmer, and a lot of folks are wondering if there's some sort of immigration, how it's going to fit into this infrastructure bill, and that was brought up yesterday in, in all 2,700 pages of that. And there's a need for it, but some of their views came up saying, well, if we can't control our borders, how are we supposed to have an efficient immigration reform package? So they said without a, a foundation of border control, it's, it's going to be hard to really move, move ahead. And that was some of the views uh, shared yesterday. So Farm Bill, the big topic today, uh, what else is on the schedule for the rest of Farm Fest? You know, Farm Bill today and then tomorrow we have Recognition Day, Mike. Uh, the third and final day is always really interesting. The 84 counties here in the state, uh, there's a farm family from each county that's represented. Also Farm Bureau does a, a woman and agriculture panel, and also they name their woman of the year as well. So Thursday is always an interesting day. It's a fun day. It's a chance to kind of sit back, take a breath, and uh, show some recognition to some, some great farm families around the state. All right, Joe, thanks. Uh, even with the challenges that uh, agriculture faces, I, it sounds like it's just people are feeling good about being able to gather again just to talk about them, right? I know. I've never seen so many yardsticks and empty five-gallon pails and bags filled full of flyers and brochures yesterday, and they were itching. I expect today to be the biggest day of the three days, so uh, the weather is really cooperating. We're getting a nice cool breeze, some overcast skies, lower 80s, so I'm expecting a real good crowd today. Sounds good, Joe. Enjoy it, and uh, thanks for the report. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. Take care. Joe Gill, Farm Director at Chasm Radio, Albany, Minnesota, our affiliate there. And Farm Fest underway in Minnesota. Big, big farm show there. Glad to hear it's going well. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. We'll get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we're joined now by Michael Langmire, Purdue Ag Economist. Want to get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. All right, Michael, last time we talked, last month, uh, the headline was the numbers, uh, the barometer had really dropped. It looks like this year, closer to steady. Uh, kind of give us an overview. Yes, it, it was very it was very similar in July compared to to June, uh, and and the uh, both the index of current conditions and the index of, of future expectations slipped a little bit, uh, with more slippage in the index of current conditions, and and I think there's at least a couple things going on with the index of current conditions, and this is going to be important as we look forward uh, into into what the index might look like later in the year. But I think one of those is we still saw some deterioration uh, in, in corn prices. Um, uh, you know, between the June and July survey, and so I think that contributed to steady. Um, you know, soybeans were up a little bit, but corn was down. Uh, but also, and we we did t- ask that we did ask some questions related to this in the survey. Uh, producers are obviously very concerned about input prices. Uh, we asked a very general question about uh, you know, whether they expected uh, the prices paid index would include uh, uh, all the inputs used in, in, in production agriculture, both for crop and livestock producers. And, and historically, that average has only increased about uh, 2% uh, over the last 10 years. But only 20% of those surveyed think that in the next year it's going to be less than 2%. And so that means 80% of the producers think that we're going to see uh, a considerable uh, input price inflation compared to what we've seen uh, in the last 10 years. And, and it's not just cash rent. Uh, it's, it's other inputs, too, fertilizer in particular, but, but there's other input uh, prices uh, also that they're very concerned about. And so I, I think the combination of those two things is creating a situation where the index is lower uh, than, certainly, uh, than certainly what it was uh, in, the, in the spring of this year. And Michael, I would think that as you talk with a farmer about uh, how they feel about conditions and and what's ahead, a lot would depend on if you're in an area where crops are looking good or you're or you're dealing with drought and uh, a, a severely reduced crop. Oh, precisely. I mean, the, the size of the crop is going to be very important to to corn prices. But if you don't have if you don't have a, a very big crop to sell, your sediment's still not going to be very good. And so, and so, yes, there's going to be some regional differences uh, in, in the responses uh, this fall. We we really don't have a big enough survey to really capture those regional differences. But we know 
uh, that's going to impact that's going to impact the, the 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 indices. So, what are they saying about uh, how they feel about making purchases, whether it's equipment or or bins or buildings or whatever it may be? I'm a little surprised that there there's not very many producers that think that they're going to uh, increase purchases, uh, whether that be buildings, uh, green bins, or, or machinery uh, this year. Uh, the, the percent that are going to increase is only 10%, uh, with a heavy percent saying they're going to remain the same compared to a year ago, but only about 10% uh, think they're going to increase uh, purchases. I'm not. I'm not very surprised with respect to buildings and grain bins. We all know that there's been some issues going on there with lumber prices and steel prices and other things like that. Uh, I'm a little surprised with, with the machinery, uh, but there certainly is some situations out there where where if, if you can if you can find uh, machine new machinery on the lot, you don't know for sure when you're going to get it. Uh, and so there is some lags there between when you purchase and, w- and when you actually might get the machinery. Uh, and we've seen quite a bit of inflation in used machinery prices. Uh, and, and so maybe maybe it's a, the increase in prices, maybe lack of availability, uh, that's making people scale back uh, those machinery purchases uh, later this year. And, and the reason why I think that why I think they could be relatively strong is again this is regional. Uh, but certainly in the eastern Corn Belt here, we're going to look at we're looking at some very strong profits. Uh, for crop producers, and typically when you see that, uh, you you see an increase in machinery purchases, and so and so that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting set of questions right now, and we'll see how that pans out here uh, in the next few months. You know, it is very interesting. I was just thinking about that. If you just step back and had a you know a, a big picture view from afar, you would say, now wait a minute, we're we have grain prices higher than they've been in some time. You would think that would automatically mean that the uh, the index would uh, you know be much higher. So why why are the uh, numbers lower during this time of higher prices? And it's because of all these different factors we've been talking about. Yes, it, it's uncertainty. Certainly, we've talked about that before. But but I think it, I think it's related to this input prices. I, I think this is a this is a big deal for agriculture, and I think people I think producers are sensing that when I go out. When I go out and talk to producers, this is on their mind, uh, and it's not. And like I said, it's not just cash rent. Uh, we're, we, 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 we've seen some upward pressure in cash rent. We recently did a, uh, a survey here in, in Indiana looking at cash rents and land values, and cash rents were up about five percent in 21, and land values were up about 12 to 14 percent. And and uh, and so obviously the, the cost of land is going up, but it's other inputs also. And so you know, even though you have these relatively strong prices. For example, if you looked at uh, uh, December futures and adjusted for basis uh, on the Eastern Corn Belt, you're still looking at corn prices over five dollars. And so, even though the prices are relatively strong, there's all this uncertainty related to, you know, are they going to stay strong? Uh, they, they they appear like they're strong right now, but is, is that, you know, how big is the crop going to be? And so, you, you've got you've got that weighing uh, weighing in their minds, but also uh, this 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 input price. Uh, uh, increases are also on their minds, and so the margins are very uncertain because of those those two factors. It is a reminder, and we have seen this before in times of higher prices, that higher prices alone don't solve all problems, right? No, that's certainly the case, and, and, and let me talk specifically about cash rents. I mean, this is not just Eastern, I talked about Eastern Corn Belt a little bit, this is, this is for the survey. Uh, you know, uh, we, we asked the question of, of, of producers that plant corn and soybeans, and that was two-thirds of the survey, plant either corn or, and or soybeans. And half of those think that cash rents are going to be higher. Uh, and of that half, a third think that cash rents are going to be greater than 10%. Uh, so, again, it goes back to that, that, that input price uh, inflation. We haven't seen uh, uh, cash rents increase 10% since about 2010. Um, and, and so you're looking at the substantially higher break-evens uh, you know, for, for, for 21, but also for 22. What are you looking at? Uh, you going to ask any uh, new questions uh, in August? Uh, we probably will. will we'll continue to ask similar questions we've done in, in June and July. And one of the things that we, we you know, set of questions that we've been asking in the last couple of months is related to solar panel, because uh, there's really not that informa- much information out there about how common it is for people to be approached uh, related to uh, solar solar panel uh, projects. And and uh, when we ask that the question this month. Uh, a third uh, were aware of opportunities uh, in you know in their area related to solar uh, panel uh, with a with a much smaller group. Six percent of all uh, survey respondents said that they had actually engaged 
uh, in discussions with solar panel. And so we uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue to ask that question, and we we probably will uh, ask a question or two uh, related to Biden's executive uh, executive orders, uh, but also uh, yeah related to to competition. Uh, so we'll probably ask a question uh, related to that, and we we may ask a question related to infrastructure. Uh, you know, certainly the, the the infrastructure bill that's going through going through Congress it has some positive aspects for for rural America. So we, we may ask a question related to infrastructure. You know, I think back earlier in the year, uh, we saw some indications in that farmers had concerns, even with higher market prices. They had concerns about some of these issues early on, and we're seeing that uh, kind of uh, come to the front now. Yes, and, and, and certainly we asked several questions early, earlier in the year, and, and we may re, we may repeat a, a couple of those questions here uh, later in the year. But we asked some questions related to uh, state tax policies in particular, and and producers are very concerned about uh, some changes that may be occurring there. Uh, in fact, uh, when we asked that fairly recently, 75% uh, were very concerned about uh, d- develop possible developments in the state tax. Uh, t- t- state taxes that would uh, that would uh, uh, impact their operations. So that percentage was very high. Another thing that that uh, uh, it, as as we get more information related to this issue, and this is what's a hot button issue a few years ago, and it could be a hot button issue again, is, is WOTUS, uh, the, the waters of, of, of the U.S. And so if if we see some if we see some policy discussions related to that issue, we'll also discuss we'll also answer question related to that. But you're right. Uh, tax policy and regulations in general are also, uh, you know, of, of of concern to producers right now, and it just adds to the uncertainty uh, related to the, what the environment might look like in the next five years. Yeah, you just have to look, uh, kind of dig a little behind the the uh, under the surface here. Yeah, you got the higher grain prices, but there are a lot of other things there that are on farmers' minds that they are dealing with, and it's showing up in in the barometer. Michael, thanks a lot. We'll talk again next month. You're welcome. Take care. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. July results are out, and they're just a little below uh, the June numbers, uh, fairly stable, but a little bit lower. But uh, even with these higher prices, a lot of concerns uh, and challenges and issues that farmers are dealing with. Well, yeah, markets are higher, but uh, what's uh, what might we expect moving forward? We're getting closer to uh, an important August crop report. We're going to talk about that with Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Any Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high yield potential you need. Make the most of the next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Wheat futures are a mixed bag, mostly higher this morning. The wheat strength is coming from more news of international wheat buying. Egypt's president is seeking an increase in their bread prices as well. Russia has just under half of its wheat harvested, and yields are trending about 12% below last year, according to Roach Egg Marketing. There is an improved chance of rain across the upper Midwest over the next few days and into the weekend. Looking at futures on the board of trade this morning, September corn trading 
three quarters of a cent higher at 5.51 and a half cent. The December contract up a penny at 5.53 and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans, the September contract up eight and three quarters at 13.32 and a half cent. November up seven and a fraction at 13.27. For wheat, Chicago wheat September up a nickel at 7.29 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September up two and three quarters at 7.10 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat September down a penny and three quarters at 9.18. The December contract up a half a cent at 9.07 and a half a cent. Mixed futures for livestock today. Yesterday, box beef jumped $4.84 higher for choice cuts and $4.11 for select cuts. Demand looks favorable heading into Labor Day in cash cattle country. Asking prices are around $122 plus in the south and $119 plus in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. For livestock on the Board of Trade, October live cattle down a dime at 128.05. The December contract down a dime at 133.10. For feeder cattle, September down 12 cents at 162.42. The October contract down 20 at 164.85. In lean hogs, October down 62 at 90.75. December down 45 at 83.80. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 153 points. The NASDAQ composite up four. The S&P 500 down 10. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to talk it over with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Todd, thank you for joining us as we head to the August crop report. Uh, your thoughts, uh, where the markets are right now, what surprises you? Well, uh, I, I should tell you today, Mike, uh, hello, and thanks for having me back, that I'm uh, coming to you from Redwood Falls, Minnesota, where we're having Farm mm-hmm. Fest 2021. And I have to say, we're right in the swing state heart of the Corn Belt this year. We've got crops around us uh, that are uh, obviously stressed from dry conditions. We have a lot of producers praying for rain. There is a chance of a decent uh, forecast for moderate amounts later this week. But uh, around this area, they've seen those forecasts come and go uh, unfruitful. So we're two good rains away from having either an excellent crop this year uh, or without rain. It's going to be dragging down the yield here in Minnesota. So it's a big swing state area. And the market itself remains fixated on weather. We just don't have the same concerns in the eastern uh, Corn Belt. If they don't get rain this week, we've got a good chance for rain in the eastern Corn Belt next week. But the western areas uh, continue to be on a teeter-totter. Yeah, I hope you're enjoying Farm Fest. We had a report from there just uh, a little earlier in the program. Sounds like things are going well and good turnout. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned Minnesota. I would say Minnesota and Iowa are are really the kind of swing states, right? Because we kind of know what the West is like. We know the Eastern Corn Belt, for the most part, looks pretty good. Uh, but a couple of states like Minnesota and Iowa will really kind of tell, give us uh, the decision on how the overall crop's going to be. Yes, uh, you're right. And uh, Iowa had the benefit of some rains just a week ago. And they're also included in the forecast uh, later this week, mostly in the northern and eastern uh, part of the state. So there's a lot of benefit, and, you know, it's just a fantastic time for the crop to get rain. 
if they can get it. So uh, you're right, there is uh, significant parts of Iowa that remain in the balance as well. But let's let's give those two states to the good side. Let's say the rains come through and 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 those states produce good crops. Uh, yeah. Even with that, and even with the good crops in the eastern Corn Belt, with the tight stocks, I mean that doesn't put us in a big uh, in a big surplus situation, does it? <laughs> uh, no, I would say uh, if Iowa and Minnesota, I think the best weather scenario, or if you want to say the worst price scenario for the harvest uh, price. Uh, this year for corn, uh, the, the best scenario puts us maybe in the upper $4 range uh, for corn prices um, and maybe adds 300 million bushels to our ending stocks bottom line uh, for the new season. And as you say, that's that's not anywhere close to the 2 billion bushel surplus that we've seen the previous five or six years. So uh, we're still a long way from that type of a market, and it, it's still a very well-supported su- market. If we look at cash prices, they're still averaging $6.20 across the Midwest, which is just phenomenal uh, and, and a great opportunity for prices at this time of year. Yeah, we're in a situation where upper four sounds pretty low. <laughs> yeah, and boy, uh, <laughs> what a change from our perspective yeah. Uh, a year ago, before that derecho hit, which we're coming up on the uh, uh, anniversary of here next week, <laughs> which is which is a big reminder for those in areas with good crops out there now, and and they they're very well aware of, very well aware of it. It's not in the bin yet, right? I mean, we still got a ways to go here, even though it is August now. Yes, absolutely right, and I I think that is a good reminder, and it's a reminder of how dependent these crops are. Uh, for moisture in the month of August to uh, fill out and, and really do well. We're talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, we focus so much, of course, on corn and soybeans, but uh, the market that is really fascinating to watch, and we talk about a big change in, in not only here in the U.S., but around the world, and that is in wheat. And uh, we've we've grown accustomed to the world being awash in wheat, and it seems like no matter what happened here in the U.S., it didn't change the price a whole lot because there was so much wheat out there. But uh, that that scenario has changed, hasn't it? Uh, yes, and, and for the better as far as wheat prices go. Absolutely right. Uh, and it's all started early this week when we started hearing lower crop estimates for Russia. Their southwestern uh, region is hot and dry and continues to be dry for the week ahead. So uh, they're, they're coming down in their crop estimates, and that's always good news because Russia is such a big producer, the world's largest exporter, and it's just hard to get around them when they have uh, a big crop. So this gives the rest of the world a little more of a chance. Now, U.S. is about third or fourth in line uh, for that export business. Uh, the other one that gave us a little bit of help earlier this week is Europe, and they're in the opposite situation where Western Europe has just had so much rain, it's uh, making harvest a little more difficult there yet. So we saw a nice bump in both European and Black Sea prices, and uh, that's really given a nice boost to our winter wheat price here this week. Uh, what do you make of China's purchases? Uh, because I always think they're they're – they're telling us something, right? They're what they're looking ahead and seeing or what they're predicting or expecting. So what are their recent purchases, do you think, say to us? Uh, well, recently, as far as the official export sales have gone, it's been very quiet. Not a lot of activity here in the U.S. coming from China. But I'm glad you brought that up because just this week we've seen a change in the pricing of corn uh, or, excuse me, the pricing of soybeans in Brazil. U.S. prices are now cheaper than Brazil's prices, which tells me that uh, Brazil's surplus has been uh, quickly used up again. It's a sign of aggressive demand from China. Now, Brazil still has a shipping advantage. So uh, the point is, though, that we're getting much more competitive on the soybean export front where it comes to Brazil. And remember, just not that long ago, they had a record 5 billion bushel harvest. So they've, they've come down to a much more competitive position very quickly. And it's all because of China's demand, which should start turning here to the U.S. fairly soon. Which is interesting. 
the perspective. When you're in a country like ours that is self-sufficient and grows enough to feed itself and to and extra to send around the world, compared to a country that's always looking to have to buy uh, these crops uh, to feed themselves, so they're always looking ahead, right, and making sure that they can uh, acquire the supply they need. Yeah, and and you know that is at the top of their list for their national security is to make sure they keep their food supplies up. And in the case of corn, we've seen a lot of political effort earlier this year to try to get their corn production up, to try to kind of rein in their corn demand. Uh, I, I have yet to be convinced that they'll be too successful in doing that. We hear about heavy rains in northeastern China lately, and of course it's difficult to get a good read on their crop production, let alone ours. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, I think overall, though, they had about six years of flat corn production, and they're probably in for another uh, of the same again this year. So I think I still see them as a big importer of both corn and soybeans uh, coming up here. Okay, we've got this August crop report coming up. Um... It, it doesn't tell and can't tell the whole story, but it sure gives us an idea of kind of where we're going with this, right? I mean, this kind of sets up the September report. Yes. Uh, the USDA will look at producer surveys, so they will get some input from around the country, even though they don't yet officially get out in the field yet. Uh, and they'll be looking at satellite imagery and, and whatnot. So there'll be some weather input there as well as input from producers and uh, I suspect that may pull down the corn yield, maybe one or two bushels uh, here in this report. I think USDA still will probably be a bit cautious about changing the yield estimate too much uh, on soybeans. I- I'm not sure they get too far away from where they're already at at 50.8 bushels uh, an acre, knowing that we still have a very critical time in front of us. And indeed, a critical time. As much as you're enjoying the weather there in Minnesota for Farm Fest, I bet everyone would be a lot happier, or a lot of people would be a lot happier if it was pouring down rain. Yeah, I, I mean, we're just all looking to the skies for the next bit of help here. You're, you're absolutely right. And boy, what a big difference it would make if we could just uh, get one or two here the next few weeks. Yeah, we think of August as the month, the critical month, of course, for soybeans. But in some of these states, it's still going to make a big difference on their corn crop. Yeah, absolutely. And and we saw last year what happens if you don't have uh, rain in the month of August for corn. So it, it is very important. Uh, and uh, we, we need to fill out both crops. Real quick, any thoughts uh, on the hog and, and cattle markets? Uh, anything there we should be watching? Oh, the cattle markets continue to be stuck. It's hard to get cash trade uh, to move much here. You know, it's hard to remember, but one year ago, we were in a much worse situation as far as cash cattle price and box beef demand. Both of those have uh, appreciated quite a bit, but of course, uh, we're still not satisfied that cash cattle prices deserve to be uh, even higher. It's just hard to see what's going to uh, help that effort along. There has been a lot of drought-related liquidation this year, and uh, that could help our cattle prices later in the season. On the hog side, we'll be looking for export sales here on Thursday morning. China has remained a somewhat active buyer, even though it seems that their hog herd has uh, largely been built. Uh, but uh, cattle prices continue to be in very profitable levels and ought to have support the next couple months here. Very good. All right. Enjoy Farm Fest, Todd. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Will do. Hope you're going to have to use your windshield wipers soon, okay, coming out of this. Thanks a lot. Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst, joining us from Redwood Falls, Minnesota, for Farm Fest going on there. All right, another attack on the renewable fuel standard. The baking industry calling for an end to the RFS. Reaction coming up from the National Biodiesel Board next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts bringing convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The Nashville Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the Nashville Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of extend max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. extend max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. And Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online.
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we have yet another attack on the renewable fuel standard. This one comes from the baking industry. Joining us now is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, uh, what's your reaction to calls from the baking industry to, to end the RFS? Sure, glad to be with you, Mike. Well, I would respond and say that their criticism is, is certainly misplaced. Uh, we, as we've been talking for many months now throughout this COVID pandemic, that there have been supply disruptions. There's a myriad of reasons behind uh, the way the market has reacted, whether it's because we're, 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 we're uh, lacking feedstock from one sector or another, from used cooking oil, et cetera. Um, and quite frankly, what the bakers need to acknowledge is, uh, you know, the input costs of the ag commodity itself is only a tiny fraction of what a consumer pays for that food product. 86% of the consumer food cost is processing, marketing, uh, transportation, all things unrelated to the underlying value of uh, the food input. And we, we've seen there's been a little bit of uh, uh, increase in food prices from, you know, 2.2% year over year to 24 But I would, I would say to you, Mike, you know, ask anybody who's tried to build a house uh, over the past year or uh, buy a buy a new car. Um, surely the RFS isn't uh, the culprit behind those products uh, being more expensive. The whole economy wide is dealing with disruptions related to COVID, and and that's exactly what this is. And quite frankly, I would say, because of the biodiesel industry, the value add that we're providing both to agriculture and to waste oils and fats. We're seeing the market respond to it. We're seeing additional uh, soybean crush facilities being announced, et cetera. So the market is re- responding. There's plenty of feedstock available. And, and, and in, the, in the near term, we're going to have a lot more feedstock coming online as a, as a result of these announcements. So the market is doing exactly what the market should. The RFS is not the culprit behind uh, what they see as, as rising prices. And if you undercut the RFS, the, the folks who are going to suffer the most are biodiesel producers and the farmers that supply those feedstocks. So we're hopeful that the Biden administration will dismiss this uh, uh, unnecessary criticism. Is this just the latest version of the food versus fuel uh, argument that I thought we'd put behind us, but it seems to keep coming back? You're, you're absolutely right. And this is, again, it's unwarranted. It, there's no correlation. Uh, it's not re- as a result of the RFS. You almost wonder if perhaps big oil is, is helping underwrite this effort by uh, the bakers to try to come at the RFS, as you mentioned, in, in another direction. Uh, but we're pretty confident that, you know, the administration views this as um, one of the only uh, carbon reduction tools available to them. And putting the pause button or even cutting back on low-carbon uh, biodiesel right now is is not the right approach and it wouldn't because it's not the culprit behind uh rising prices pausing or or cutting back volumes wouldn't have the necessary uh outcome that the bakers want so it's it's really a solution in search of a problem in my view yeah they make it sound like if the rfs went away food prices would go down and uh, dramatically and and we know that just wouldn't be the case Yes, if anything, their profits might go up and they may be more motivated by their own bottom line than they are, uh, you know, the impact it has on on consumers. Because there's only a tiny fraction of uh, the consumer food value uh, is related to the underlying uh, commodity. So, you know, they're hopeful that, you know, people won't do the research or or take the time to understand exactly what is driving uh, their input costs and, and what portion of those input costs are related to the consumer. Uh, so this is a matter of, you know, we're going to do our due diligence, educate folks, ensure that they understand that the RFS is not driving up the cost of, of uh, consumer food food prices uh, and that it's not a time to take your foot off the gas, so to speak, in terms of uh, renewable volumes. 
talking with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. You mentioned educating folks. Uh, you have a campaign, uh, a new campaign out to do just that. We absolutely do. As a result of uh, a couple of reports that the administration is considering providing relief to uh, a, at least one petroleum refinery from the renewable fuel standard, uh, we're, we're calling on the president and members of Congress and a handful of Midwestern states through radio ads that are running this week to ask the president to uphold his commitment that he made to the American farmers as he was on the campaign trail. He said uh, the, the RFS is our bond with farmers to, to ensure profitability and uh, a good livelihood, and also that he wouldn't be providing uh, exemptions to petroleum refiners. Rather, he'd be insisting that they comply with the law. All we're doing is uh, reminding folks of the commitments that President Biden made as a candidate and, and uh, as president to uphold the RFS, to, to end the loopholes, and to stand with uh, the American farmer in, in supplying uh, low-carbon alternative uh, transportation fuels. So that ad is running, as I mentioned, throughout uh, a handful of Midwestern states, asking members of Congress to weigh in with the president to remind him of that important commitment uh, that he followed through on it. Yeah, the biodiesel industry, you're looking to grow, right? Not cut back, you're looking to grow. That's absolutely right. We have limitless potential. Uh, we're, we're providing one of the lowest carbon uh, petroleum alternatives. Our, our fuel on average is 74% less carbon than petroleum diesel. We're, we're producing at about 2.5 billion gallons today. We'd like to be, you know, 3 billion gallons by the end of this year, perhaps uh, doubling the industry within the near term. And, and there's a lot of announcements to do that, but it relies on consistent policy, whether that's at the state level or the federal level and the renewable fuel standard, uh, tax policy, etc. So now is not the time to undermine the industry. If your goal is reduction in carbon emissions, uh, biodiesel is the answer. So that, that's the message that we're delivering. And I, I think at the end of the day, we'll be successful. Always good to talk with you, Kurt. Thanks a lot. Glad to be with you, Mike. Take care. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. That wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, the latest on what's uh, happening with the infrastructure bill. Uh, also, um, the ongoing dairy dispute with Canada. And we'll have another preview of Husker Harvest Days. All that coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The National Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville.